I'm there. Wow, happy birthday. I feel good. 48 years old today. It's great. I'm so good about myself. What? I could be 48. Okay, I'm 30. Five. Never mind. So anyway, um, I just have to make an announcement here just to start off. It's just an incredible announcement. Um, our 25th anniversary is coming up as a church. Uh, we've been here about 23 years, almost 23 years, uh, on the premises. Um, we landed in this room, basically. It didn't look anything like this. And then we began to rent, and then eventually we were able to buy, and eventually we were able to buy these three buildings. And all along the way, you know, we didn't know what we were going to do with three buildings, but it just made sense at the time, and it was just an open door, and I knew we were going to need parking. And I just couldn't imagine trying to buy or lease one building, you know. We would need at least the three, and I wanted the fourth as well. And so, through a series of miracles, we were able to buy the three. And uh, so, once you buy the buildings, this was a long time ago, right? So, once you buy the buildings, then what are you going to do with them? Well, we filled tenants in the rooms, uh, basically, pretty much in the other two bu- uh, uh, buildings, because we really didn't... Uh, know what to actually do with them, but it was great to get the income because we needed it for the mortgage payment, the, so we had a lot of rental income in the beginning. But what I was really after and what we've really been after is just the vision uh, for what God wants to do with all the three buildings, right? And, and uh, so over time, we began to develop a plan, and uh, we've been back and forth with a number of plans and tried a lot of things. We've had schools before. We've had all kinds of things before, but finally... What began to happen is the Lord really began to congeal this uh, vision into, okay, what are we going to do with these three buildings and uh, for the kingdom? And uh, and so the Lord gave us that information, uh, oh, maybe starting about three or four years ago, kind of a final blueprint. We began to fine-tune it. And finally, uh, we fine-tuned it to the, enough, uh, to the place where we just really knew what we wanted to do with virtually every nook and cranny, every space in these three buildings. And uh, so along the way came the warehouse and some other things, right? But but uh, just about a year ago, maybe, we finally settled on a clear vision, and we submitted that to the city. It's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing for the city to give you approval for whatever you want to do, right? And uh, that includes schools, the Mercy Warehouse, and a whole other plan, like some things that you haven't even heard of yet, and including outside and how we're going to design that and everything. And... Um, so I've been after that concept and after the permission of the city to do all of that since the time we moved in, so for 23 long years. Well, last Tuesday night, they gave me the permission to do everything I want to do. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So lots of buildings going to be going on around here. You won't see all of it. It'll be in this building and also the warehouse. Some parking lot stuff will be done. And you'll notice especially what happens out here in the uh, yard and uh, how that's all changed around. But it's a great plan. It's an amazing plan. And uh, we were at the meeting just sitting on pins and needles, hoping nothing came up. You know, we're still in a two-week uh, period. Uh, that'll be done in about 10 days. But um, Anyway, they were so positive. It was just so wonderful. I mean, I just couldn't have gone any better. They couldn't have blessed us any more. They had actually visited. Um, I think their wives shopped in the Mercy Warehouse a little bit. <laughs> Everybody shopped in the Mercy Warehouse. But anyway, uh, 
and all of that. And uh, so we're just so glad uh, that our plans are complete. They're approved. Now all we got to do is build them out. And uh, so you'll be seeing that. And um, I like the changes of this room, but you haven't seen nothing yet compared to what happens on the rest of the campus and, and stuff. It's a good, a really good plan. We've been praying over this for way over 20 years and uh, have been given every reason in the world why we couldn't do what we, were spo- what we thought we should do. And then finally the city agreed with us completely and totally and the fire department and every other 10 other departments underneath them. You cannot imagine how much detail goes into this. Uh, Poor Bob, he just needs to go take several vacations because he's been riding herd on this for a long time. God bless you, Bob. Between him and my brother, uh, but especially I'd say Bob sitting on this, he's he's been the one that's been in charge of all the detail of this. And it's been a hard job. It's been very difficult. He's got a great head for it, though, you know. So uh, it's just really uh, done a great job. Bob, we just really appreciate that. And Thank you for, uh, from all of you for all the gifts you've given us in the past and, uh, and toward this new venture that we're doing. We've just been really appreciative of that. And, um, and now we have some other things that are on the horizon that we don't quite know what to do with, including an open door uh, with a, an accredited university, a Christian accredited university, the possibility of building something that is just exactly uh, what it should be in secondary education, right? And, yeah, so that's another thing on the horizon. It just popped up on the screen about three or four months ago. Actually, a little bit earlier than that, but we've just been considering that too. So an interesting thing is, uh, maybe it's by way of instruction, uh, I believe that God, as we're, we even see in this sermon today, is a God of visions and dreams. I think that's the way he talks, language. It doesn't have to necessarily be a vision that you can see, although it's really helpful if it gets to that visual place. But... He's always creating, always doing things through us for our businesses, for our families, for whatever calling that we have on our life. And I've developed this word wisdom path uh, for walking those out because it's one thing to get an idea. It's another thing to see it fleshed out and walk through it, right, for your life. Something, an idea that you think would be great for your life, but most people don't have the faith or the uh, sense of, of God's presence to mine it out. But these journeys that we take and the journey we've been on is quite, quite a, it's quite a story because along the way, God changes you, rearranges you. He changes your perspective. He takes these wonderful plans that you would like to see for your life, whether it's buying a new house or, or doing something for your family or having a new job or starting something, right? So I still have things that we have to walk through. Um, we have things that I still have visions, but... I know that I can't do it all at once, but I just get on this path and then I just look for every confirmation that I take a step of faith where I'm supposed to. And then sometimes a step of faith is more like a jump off a cliff faith. <laughs> sometimes it's easier. And then you begin to walk, then God shapes it. And it's just like a sculpture. And he says, ah, oh, you have that plan, but I have this plan. Let's see how we can make these come together. So this is the way God works. And it's a joyous thing. It's a scary thing. It's a thing of faith, you know. And uh, there's a couple other plans that we have. I'll just tell you right out. I want to have a preschool. So I have no idea where that's going. I also want a gym right over here. I also would like to control that property over there. So so I've been praying for this for not just like six months, for years and years. So uh, these things have been in my mind and heart for a long time. And uh, I believe the Lord's going to eventually give it to us. We had a 
Well, certain things I probably shouldn't say publicly, but just something happened in that council meeting. I'll talk to you privately. Something thing happened in that council meeting that utterly astounded me that came out of the mouth of one of the, the, the planning commissioners, and I, I, I knew it was right from God. It's like God had a megaphone just talking to me, right, talking to all of us. We knew it. We were just like standing there going, oh, my gosh, what did he, what did he say? So it was just really incredible. Let's just say that they were very, very positive with us, and they've actually been so fair with us. They've put us through the hoops, man. I'm telling they, I mean, they have put us, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. They put us through our paces. I mean, I mean, wow, trying to do a building project, and this time my poor brother over there, he deals with it all the time. But for me, like going through this, wow, down to the detail and the inches and the wow, and all the permissions and everything. So thank God that we've just gone through past a major marker. It's been a marker that's in the making literally over 20 years. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. So. All right. So uh, now I can, all I can think of is what just happened. Okay, i got to get back to this. All right. It's related. So hopefully everybody has an outline that says making a difference in a world falling apart. I think it's fair to say the world's fairly falling apart. <laughs> Maybe not totally, maybe not in all areas, but it's not doing very well all over the planet. And uh, so who are we in the midst of all of this? And so we've been redefining that for ourselves here, and I think the whole church has. Who are we? How do we make a difference now that we see the weakness of the world? We see so many people in difficulty and trouble. What's our place in it? How can we make a difference? Well, it turns out that God's people are uniquely equipped to prosper in this day of enigmas and conundrums. So I got all fancy on you there. What's an enigma? A person or a thing that is hard to understand. A riddle, a mystery. Have we had any of that lately? I think the whole country's been through that. <laughs> some riddles and some mysteries. Then the word conundrum. Any puzzling or difficult problem. So there's been a few of those. More than a few. So I, th- I think it's safe to say that there are enigmas and conundrums, but God's people are uniquely qualified for such days. It's just like the waves got bigger, but we are up for it. But unfortunately, not all the church has been up for it. Matter of fact, it's revealed some really difficult things. But I just think when the weather gets testy and crazy, and this is where we put up our kite, we put up our, we get on the surfboard, whatever, this is where we do the best. This is our best time, not our worst time. Don't complain. God's changing destinies of churches and individuals within their churches because we're not just anybody, right? I'll tell you for sure. um, If we look at uh, Luke chapter 21, I'll just read verses 29 to 36. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you cannot see for yourselves and know that you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Right? So he's telling them about a future time that will be coming and that the church will actually notice what's happening. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. The generation that exists at the time that he's speaking. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. This is a really important thing. You cannot, in this time, let our heart be weighed down by the anxieties of life. Because if you get too much fear and anxiety in there, then you know what? You'll miss God speaking. 
God's not afraid of nothing. So to walk with him, you have to be courageous because he doesn't worry like we do. He wants us, matter of fact, on the same page that he's on, right? So be careful. Don't let your hearts be weighed down. So this is a time of care. Be careful. Don't let your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about the toward the end of time when he comes back, there's going to be anxiety in the air all over the place. So what we've been going through is the church has been given some time, and we've been in this time of coping with anxiety, anxiety that we just couldn't have imagined even a few years ago. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now I can just read that really uh, uh, fast, but here's a critical thing. A prayerless church will not be able to cope with today's problems. If you ever prayed, you should be praying now for your life, for your family, for the church, for God's cause in the earth. A prayerless life is an ill-equipped life. If you don't pray, you're not going to hear God's voice. And if you don't hear God's voice, you're not going to know which way to go. Matter of fact, this is a time when the church becomes more prayerful, not just to survive and cry out for mercy, but also to hear God's voice because God doesn't let his people stand still. They don't hide and run away somewhere. They get their surfboard out and they ride the bar- long, largest waves are out there. That's what we do. Some of you surfers can understand, right? This is not a time to be intimidated. What prayer does, it helps us surf the waves because we begin to hear things from God and boy, they can be very contradictory to the world, but they are actually the solution to our problem. They are the way out. They are the way on. They are the way toward our destiny. And to go to your destiny, you must hear God's voice, and prayer is one of those things. So developing a prayer life corporately and individually is extremely important. So we're going to look at the life of Joseph today. And in Joseph's day, Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler of that day, encountered a great enigma and a conundrum. He had some riddles. He had a difficult problem. Uh, Things were puzzling him. Even his story is a little puzzling for some of us with a secular worldview. But most countries of the world in the past and in the present around the world have a spiritual worldview, most peoples of the earth. Not necessarily some of the Western uh, democracies that have arisen in this day, but much of the world still has a spiritual worldview. They may have the wrong spiritual worldview, but they have it. And it's all the way, I mean, historically the same way, right? And so he encounters a great enigma and a conundrum. It troubles him greatly. I want to just read some of these verses uh, um, describing uh, Pharaoh's uh, problem. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. Now, one thing you're going to see as we get the interpretation of this is you say that dreams are highly symbolic. So God gives you dreams too, but they're symbolic. And so um, it's the glory of a king, the Bible says, to search out a matter. So have a dream. You go, well, I don't understand what that means. That's just baloney, you know. Don't ever say that about your dreams, especially if they're very specific and have that certain feel to them. Ask him, because he's drawing you out. He's trying to say something to you. 
it's the glory of God to conceal them out, the glory of kings, our glory to search them out, right? After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Now, for us, we can hardly identify with this. But most rulers, most uh, in the ancient rules especially, but even today in many third world countries and many places of the earth, they have a spiritual worldview, not a secular worldview. They might have a secular worldview mixed in there some way because there's still automobiles and cars and everything and technology. But they basically are wired to be sensitive to spiritual things. Now, granted, many times they go to the wrong spiritual things, the witch doctors and witchcraft. But it's interesting because, like, what one of our leaders is going to send instantly for this guy and bring him out of the dungeon to get a word, right? By bring him out of the dungeon... But it's not so unusual if you understand anthropology, you understand worldview, you understand the way people are really made up in the world. We live in this isolated, secular worldview place. But most areas of the world have a spiritual worldview. They see things from a spiritual worldview. Granted, they don't have quite the right one, but they give respect to deities and demonic things, spiritual things. They're sensitive to spiritual things. This is why there's a major move of God throughout the whole world, because the church got her supernatural bearings some years ago and has begun to move out with signs and wonders and prophetic voices. The very things that we espouse here is literally responsible for saving millions and millions of people because when they see a miracle, they respond. They don't say, oh, I don't believe that was a miracle. That guy's faking it. You know, They believe. And when they see a demon come out, they're astounded, astonished, right? So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What an amazing thing. Even for Joseph to say, you know, he's been in the dungeon. He's sold into bondage by his own brothers. Like, and then the guy that he went to finally had a little breakthrough and was advancing as a servant of the house. And this person says something falsely about him and he ends up in jail and in the dungeon. And yet he's still spiritually aware. He's looking for God's answer. He is a spiritual man, has not given up on his destiny. He says, well... I can't do it, but you know what? I hear God's voice. God will give it. Can you imagine a bunch of people like us running around with God's voice, able to interpret dreams, hear God's voice? Well, tell me your dream. 
well, this means you better do that and you better not do that. And uh, by the way, if you do over that, over there, you're going to probably end up dead. <laughs> but this guy's all ears, okay? And if you pick up with verse 25 to 32, then Pharaoh said, to, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, this is verse 25 of, of Genesis. Then Pharaoh said to, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that come up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now, then he says this, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. So now he's getting a little entrepreneurial here, right? <laughs> and then he says, about appointing commissioners, he's going to give him this plan. And Pharaoh says, well, okay, fine. You're it, right? So as we know, he gets out of the jail. So there was a dream of worldwide significance that no one could interpret, a looming catastrophe that threatened Egypt and the whole world. But Joseph, representing God's people, had the answer. So we pick up with verse 34. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners of the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, well, can we find anyone like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you and there's no one so discerning and wise as you. Now remember, this is interesting, nothing's happened yet. <laughs> Everybody's in faith on this matter, even this pagan king. He understands. He can discern spiritual activity. He may not know who that's from. He just knows his spirit. And he's dealing with spirit here. And this guy's dealing with spirit. And he's giving him, well, he, he, I guess you could say he's bearing witness, some, something inside of him, in his spiritual nature. He's, he's seen this. And of course, there's the hand of God working through the whole thing. You shall be in charge of my palace. Listen to this. Wow. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Could I just ask you a question? Could it be the trouble that we're experiencing is nothing more than a promotion button for the people of God to be promoted into strategic positions. This is why the negativity and the fear and the griping and the whole thing, this is really dumb. You've got to be careful about it. Because what the world wants to do, is going to want to do, and already is doing, is going to draft somebody that knows what the heck is going on. Because situation could be so bad that what we really need is a word of wisdom and a word from God. Right, And I think there's going to be a time when could very well be soon when people recognize that's exactly what's needed. Or at least understanding that there's someone with some wisdom, something on them that could bless, right? Someone proven. Maybe something that we did with one of their friends, like happened in this story. And then it comes to us 
That's how these miracle things move around, right? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So if he did it once, could God do it again? And I'm not even saying about elections or not. I think you can be in charge without being elected. I think you can get the ear of someone. You can get the voice of someone. You can get the, uh, a place where you can give people advice. You can be in a position of influence. You can always influence whether you can rule anyway. And this is where Joseph found himself. I believe this is a day for Joseph's. If we understand this day for Joseph's, then we'll understand ourselves much better. If we get on the same level as all these people and to, you know, some of the accusations and some of the crazy things that are flying across, you just have to be careful. You have the Spirit of God in you. Discern wisely. Act wisely. Act like you're not afraid. <laughs> Act like someone's in charge bigger than you and you're his best friend. That's the way Joseph thought. I hear from God. <laughs> it's a fact. Sorry, you know. I'm not doing too good right now. I'm not sure what God's doing, but the fact of the matter is I hear from God. That description I just gave may be for many of you. I'm not sure exactly what's going on here, but you know what? I'm going to know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to know what we're supposed to do. If the body of Christ would quit griping long enough and quit crying long enough and panicking long enough just to listen to God's voice, we might just find ourselves the head and not the tail in a way we just can't imagine now. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. (laughs) Amazing. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Is it possible, is it conceivable, that God could do the same in our time with Businesses and companies and whole industries and politically even in strange situations. Is it possible? It is for people to know that they're supposed to make a difference in a world falling apart. We're on. This is our stage. This is our greatest stage. The greatest hindrance to the gospel in America is a lukewarm people. Well, I think the temperature changed. Not a lot of lukewarmness going on. Those that hate Jesus, hate the gospel, hate the church, hate lots of things that are good, things put in by God are there now in increasing number. The question is whether those lovers of Jesus, more passionate than ever, those who have not caved, those who are not afraid, those who are not afraid to hear God's voice and do it, those people, are they alive today? And I think... We're making spectacular progress. At least in our neck of the woods, we are. Because we are a prophetic church. That's one of the reasons why God brought this prophetic movement into the church over the last 15, 20 years. It's because he knew we were going to need our ears to start hearing. But I think that rather than think on the cosmic side of things and get beyond our headlights, all of you have situations Work situations, issues. I've never seen so many work situations that required hearing God's voice. What do I do? Do I get the shot? Do I not? Do I go over there? Do I quit? Oh my gosh, heavy, heavy things. Have we ever needed the prophetic voice of God more than now? God's voice telling us what to do? I believe that those who just listen to God, we might find ourselves in a bad place, 
But do, can you see from this story how quickly God can elevate and change your circumstances? Just like that. One moment you're in the dungeon, next moment you're in charge of everything. Wow. Could that happen? Absolutely. It's in the Bible. Maybe in this time more than we know. Could it be that this is a wide open door for the gospel? Could it be this is an open door, our times that we live in, for God to move in a way that the world has never seen? Could it be that the whole world's shaken up enough and been tenderized enough that this is the greatest hour for the gospel in our country and the world beyond? I think so. I think this word about Joseph is a word about making a difference in a world falling apart. And I'm looking at both a bunch of Josephs and Josephines out there today. So look at Roman numeral 2. Like Joseph, God's calling the church from a place of confidence and problem solving. This is something that um, I think is critical, uh, just to think of ourselves in this way. I don't think I've ever solved more problems in such a short amount of time as I have during these last several years. Because we've had to reinvent, think through, even this thing I was telling you about the building program of the church, we've had to sort through, think through, pray through every single detail. What do we want this to look like? And then with regard to the problems, you know, closing, not closing, tent, you know, so funny. Uh, they were even amused as I'm in, we're there from the city, they're sort of amused at the tent thing, you know. We, the planning committee quickly said, well, this was because we had COVID. They go, aha. Yes. They actually give you room for that, right? Because there's not supposed to be a big old fat tent out there. It's last time I checked. I never, we didn't get permission for that. We just did it, right? But you see, the thing is, in crazy times, there's allowances. There's things made. There's doors. There's openings. There's things that you could do that you couldn't do. And we discovered new things to do outside, which are going to continue to follow up on. When you see the new design for the outside, you're going to like it. But it's going to include things that we do out there that we might not have been so sensitive to. I went to this wonderful thing that Janice did the other day in the women, and it was out in the tent and had that dinner out there and that movie. It was just great. And then, of course, one of my favorite things is just the feeding that we do, actually having services. You know, we have a couple of services, you know, that maybe you hadn't thought of. I and mean, we have our Wednesday nights, we have our, you know, our Monday nights, our Sunday mornings, but also we have Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoon. They're full-blown services. There's people there, there's worship, there's music, there's preaching, there's people getting saved, healed, and then they get their food. It's amazing. So we don't have three services, we have six services. And they really are services. They're people where people hear the gospel preached, they worship God, they get their food, they get prayed for, they get healed. We see some of the greatest miracles there of any place in the whole campus. So I've been really wary. I've been thinking, oh, man, I don't want to get rid of that tent. I really like it. But I think we found a way to do this because they're not going to let us keep it over long, a long period of time. They've been giving us room. But I think I've found a way that we're going to be able to use that space out there really, really well. There's going to be a nice uh, uh, fountain out there, and it's going to also double as a baptismal. So we're actually going to baptize people outside. I think the baptism even has a heater in it, if I'm not sure. I'm pretty certain. Does it, Bob? I can't remember. Yeah, it does. All right, cool. I swiped the idea from another vineyard church, so I wasn't nearly that creative. But uh, I think we modified it a little bit, though, made it our own. We're, we're, we're going to do it even better, I think. <laughs> That's so I didn't completely swipe the idea, right? Anyway, no, it, it, I think we found a better way to do it even than, than they're doing, but, or at least a little more creative. So, like Joseph, God is calling the church into a place of confidence and problem-solving. Genesis uh, 41. 
Let's just read verses 14 to 16. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from a dungeon. When he shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can hear a dream and you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, this is said in faith, but it's not that much of a stretch, even for our day now, for us to say that. So since the church began, we've been equipping in the prophetic. We equip people to hear God's voice here all the time. So for us reading this, it's not so hard to imagine us in the same exact space. From the church's birth, we've been learning to hear the voice of God. Three times a year, in addition to my life in the spirit class and some other classes that we have that are wonderful with inner healing and and all kinds of powerful uh, uh, pastoral issues with regard to our own psyche and our own heart, there's this prophetic class. And then some of you were a part of Soul Breakthrough this summer, right? Where God reveals prophetically things about you. So we have not let go of that. But boy, does it come in handy right now. Because we are locked and loaded. We are a revelation people. You never know what we're going to hear and what we're going to do. I mean, that's the way God is because he's leading us along, right? I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret, right? Are we not the light of the world? This is Roman numeral two. What does it mean to be the light of the world? But you know what? In this very dark season, we're finding out, aren't we? We are learning. I mean, that was kind of kind of a thing, but now it's like, what does it mean to be the light of the world? And boy, are we learning how to do that. Look at Matthew 5, 12 to 16. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't like that verse very much. Let's move on to the next one. Verse 13. Uh, that'll be another lesson. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. And I just feel sorry sometimes for our politicians and our leaders. They're, they're trying to find light somewhere out there. They're trying. And some of them aren't trying. They're abusing. They're just trying to take advantage of us. They're throwing light where light shouldn't be, right? But we are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So we're very relevant to this moment. Hey, we're the light of the world. In a very dark world, we're the light of the world. Don't forget that. Not just we together, not just because you're a perfectionist, but every individual, wherever you work, wherever you are, you're the light of the world. Boy, I tell you, it's not so hard to shine your light anymore. I've noticed that. Even in secular places, I find myself in places. I, 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 I feel like, I feel sorry for people. I, I feel a compassion. I find myself engaging with perfect strangers, people I know that are in need, you know, I don't know why, I just feel that anointing more than I ever have in my life. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Where does light shine the best? When it's dark, right? Well, it's getting kind of dark now. (laughs) So better turn your light bulb on. And even if you're at dull glow, Compared to the darkness outside, you're a bright and shiny light. And actually, people are so starved and so hungry for light, they will notice. They notice now like never before. They notice now like never before. Your coworkers, people around you, people you thought didn't have a single interest in God, are awake and watching 
and they're afraid and they're looking. So our light becomes more important every day that goes by, it seems like to me, especially over the last few years. The, enigma we, the enigmas we face in everyday life prepare us to be a blessing to the world around us, including our own households. And that's exactly what happened to, to our brother Joseph. I say our brother, we'll see him in heaven, right? Look at Genesis chapter 45. Verses 10 to 11. So here's the end of it. Eventually, all his family joins him in Egypt, the same family that sold him into bondage. He says in Genesis chapter 45, verse 10 to 11, You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your whole household and all who belong to you will become destitute. So in this whole situation where he gets thrown into this whole terrible dungeon and the whole horrible thing and he gets elevated, ultimately it's not only the blessing to the world around us, but in blessing the world, you'll bless your own households. I think that's important to keep that there. The scripture says, one of my favorite passages, and we'll probably visit again before this message is over, give and it should be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. In our giving, in our blessing, we get blessed. So Joseph stands up and he's, uh, he ends up this ruler of Egypt and he's gathering all this food and blessing the whole country. But what shouldn't be lost in this whole thing was his family back home needed a blessing too because the famine was there. And they were saved because Joseph got sold. Wow. What a lesson. What a powerful lesson. Some bad things, some bad experiences, some difficult things sometimes happen to us. But God has the amazing power and desire to take our worst weaknesses, our worst trials, our worst troubles, and turn them into something beautiful uh, for the world. I believe we're in that metamorphosis as a church right now. With the warehouse and even the school that we're doing and other things uh, that I think uh, God has us in position to do right now, corporately. But also, certainly individually, right? The enigmas we face in everyday life prepare us to be a blessing to the world around us, including our own households. Joseph learned in his distress this is to be to be confident in the Lord. Genesis uh, 39, 20 to 23. Don't waste your sorrows. So I want to just uh, go back to Genesis 39 a little bit and review his story. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You know, uh, I've noticed something about the homeless situation uh, that we've been experiencing and some of the jobless things, some of the tragedies. You know, at the moment of your deepest need where you get hurt the most, you think you're all washed up. You think that, you know, you're disqualified in some way. You're so busy looking at what you don't have that you don't understand the great gift that God gave you. Because when you come out of any trial, even if you're in jail, guess what? You just became qualified to minister to anybody else that's in the same place. It's a strange thing that happens to us. Some people even think of themselves as cursed or never blessed. But if you became homeless, if you are a drug addict, if you've been divorced, If you're in any kind of weakness, you're qualified now to be a great minister. 
you understand people's weakness. And then you can give a testimony of how God brought you out. Could I just look across the room here? I don't care how many years it's been. Matter of fact, the greater number of years that you've been in jail, the better. You thought, well, I've just my own stupid fault for being in there. I made these stupid mistakes. Hey, have you noticed other people make mistakes, but they're not out of jail yet? Have you noticed? Lots of people have been making lots of mistakes. You're Joseph. Joseph doesn't mean that you've been great all these years. Joseph means you went through suffering and trouble and trial, and you came out the other side equipped to the place where you can help somebody else. See, it turns out the Lord's kind to us in prison. We can take that same kindness we were shown and give it to somebody else. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. In my opinion, if you've been homeless, you are uniquely qualified to minister in this time. You just got promoted. If you can see your way through to the other side and finally get to space to live now, what are you going to do? You need to drag somebody like yourself out of the same place. He's in jail. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He had favor in jail. He just made the most of it. And somehow or another, that favor got turned into an interpretation of a couple of dreams he heard there, right? But the key thing is he was responsible for all that was done there. He became the head of the prison. It wasn't such a great promotion, but it was a promotion, right? The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. We always think of promotion as this thing where we just go straight to the top. Now you just get promoted here. And so now he's in charge of the prison. First he was in charge of Potiphar's house. That was a pretty good gig. Then he kind of takes a slide. But sometimes slides aren't what they look like for the people of God. So he goes into a very bad, bad place, but he doesn't shrivel up like a little a, a fig or, you know, he, he makes the most of it. He becomes in charge. He begins to rule the place. Now, granted, it's not the greatest job of all to be in charge of the prison and to be a prisoner at the same time, right? But it's interesting. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Wow. Do we just think about that for a moment? Success comes from inside. It comes from the Lord. God's will for you is to give you success in every situation and place that you've been in. Maybe you lost a close loved one. We are great because now you can comfort other people that have the same problem. Maybe you got fired from your job and got rehired and you're rebuilding, but whoa, what sympathy you have in your heart for those that are rebuilding. Maybe you've been sick in your body and the weakness has been overbearing. But you come out of it, and then pretty soon you find yourself, anybody that's got that same problem, you just start ministering to them. Your problems are to give you Father's eyes. Your Father's eyes. Father sees weakness differently than we do. But when you go into weakness, you start looking at people in a different way. And I tell you, through even the... through some of the things that we've been through as a family. I never look at the homeless like I used to. Never, never, never. 
when I see them, I just get Father's eyes. Because when you go through something like that, you you just get compassion in you. And I don't suppose I'd give anything for the compassion I feel now for those around us. Because where the compassion is is where the Father is. And I want to be with the Father. I just didn't know. Sometimes there's a steep price to that. Sometimes there's a breaking and a shaking. But at the end of it, it is absolutely worth it. Because if the church ever needed eyes, the Father's eyes for the world, it's now. When you get the Father's eyes and compassion, you see things in a different way. You see the possibilities in a different way. You see persistence in a different way. You see God's anointing in a different way. You hear his voice in a different way. And you actually are of help because compassion always precedes power. For a long time now, I've been eating off the meal of compassion for the homeless. But in the process, I'm seeing great power released and many around us the same. Many of our best workers are people that have been homeless themselves. They're the ones that know what it feels like. Not just homeless, but sick, addicted to drugs. When you go through one of these stages, you you just got your ministry. You didn't expect that that was the way it was going to be. You got on the elevator and pressed the up button, but it just went down. And you thought you weren't promoted. The truth is, like Joseph, you were getting promoted. It just took the long way, the compassionate way. And so we see this. He gets into the prison, right? And he has this dream, and he interprets the dream. In other words, he takes his spiritual gift in the midst of his darkness, in the midst of the sorrow, and he lets it work. And he gives this advice to a cupbearer and a a baker, right? But that cupbearer got restored to Pharaoh's court. He had interpreted a dream, and exactly what Joseph said happened. So that's why when the cupbearer was in Pharaoh's presence, he goes, you know, uh, there's this guy down there in the dungeon. You know, I know you're freaking out about this dream, but all I know is he interpreted our dreams, and you might want to call on him. So they get him out of the dungeon. He goes from dungeon to ruler of all of Egypt in one day. How can that happen? Could that happen to the church? Could we be in that situation in our businesses ever? Could there be rapid promotion? Promotion so fast, so crazy, that we don't even know how we got there. We're just trying to cope with the promotion now instead of the pain, right? So I guess what I'm saying is don't waste your sorrows because they go a long way toward making a difference in a world that's falling apart. What's your sorrow? Let that pain work for you. As the Lord loves you out of that situation and loves you in that situation, you became uniquely postured to have a ministry for the rest of your life. Even when the situation changed, you know, for Joseph, he still had that. You know, that sensitivity, that compassion, that grace on him. We hate trouble. We hate limitations. We even feel small in it. But God gives grace to the humble. Well, the greatest grace you can get is this ability to love other people in that same space. What then shall we say in response to these things? Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who could be against us? 
He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's who we are. God's for you, not against us. He didn't spare his own weakness. He gave his own son. Do you think the father suffered when the son was on the cross? Yes, and so did the son. How will he not also along with us graciously give us all things? He's a good God. He's for us, not against us. Don't underestimate the power of your testimony to build someone else's confidence in the Lord. It says at the end times of Revelation 12, they overcame the, the devil, the world, with the word of their testimony. I'm telling you, this word of their testimony is such a powerful thing. Like in our marketplace prayer meetings, testimony is revolutionizing our prayer meeting for our businesses. Because when you carry inside you somebody else's testimony, you also carry in you the possibility that could happen to you. And when you listen to testimony after testimony, like we do, for example, in our business prayer meetings or other prayer meetings, all kinds of things, when you listen to these testimonies, uh, what happens is you get revolutionized. You, you begin walking in that grace, right? And so don't ever underestimate the power of testimony and telling them to one another. Whatever meeting you are, if you're going to have a prayer meeting, have a testimony meeting. I encourage you to testify more than you pray. <gasps> no, I, do, I, I, I promise you, because what good does it do for us to put forth a bunch of glib prayers and we don't believe a word we're saying and we're in sorrow and pain and we just are hoping against hope that something happens. But when you tell testimony, you go, wait a minute. Pretty soon it begins to click. If he did that for them, and I remember how terrible that was for them, then why couldn't he do it for me, right? And when that begins to click, all of a sudden we become problem solvers, right? And then we begin to slay our lions and bears in preparation for the giants in the land. That's 1 Samuel 17, 36 and 37. David was put out in the back pasture hanging out with his sheep. But he learned how to fight there and protect his sheep. But he took that to the greatest opportunity of his life when it came time for him to perform. When everybody else is being intimidated, he's out there, you know, Shepherds, shepherds, oh, how romantic. Shepherd is one of the nastiest, worst jobs you could ever have in your whole life. It's like, maybe we could say it this way. I got promoted to be a garbage man. You know, not that there's anything wrong with being a garbage man, but I got maybe permitted to taking care of the sewer or whatever, right? We wouldn't say that's a great job, but that's what shepherding was at that time. And not only that, but it was a job that you'd risk your life doing it, right? To protect your livelihood. And so he sees this Goliath and he says, you know what? I've done this with these horrible animals. I'm going to kill that giant. And it's that leap that's going to cause the church to come into her finest hour. When we slay our bears and our lions now in the horrible situations we found ourselves, no employment, no work, rejection, sick, whatever, guess what? When we go overcome This has been nothing but a testing period for the church to slay giants if you have it in you, if you can believe. Don't waste your sorrows. Now is our greatest time. We're not going to fade away in the darkness. We're going to go forward. We're going to be blessed in ways we can't imagine. We're going to take care of the giants in the land and we're going to rise up. So many things individually and corporately we can say about that. So let's look at Roman number three. Solving problems in the power centers and demonic strongholds of the world. You can notice our story is escalating here a little bit. 
Genesis 41, verses 33 to 40. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man, he says, and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. So, <laughs> so he's just saying, you know, you, you're going to have to have somebody to, to, to run this mess, right? And uh, I want to go back to, uh, no, that's right, that's exactly where I need to be. <clears throat> and so, so then, of course, Pharaoh says, well, you know, then he gives him some advice. It's really interesting. He says, this is what I would do. Now, he's making this pitch, but Pharaoh's all ears. So let Pharaoh appoint commissioners of the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. We are wiser than we know. And when problems come up, if God was going to give wisdom to anybody, wouldn't it be to the salt of the earth and the light of the world? So this whole thing we've been through and this season is nothing but a big fat promotion for what's God's what's on God's real mind. His real mind is that revival will break out the whole world. Somewhere in the point in history there's going to be this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. And then the end comes. All that you're seeing right now is a preparation for that. The greatest harvest of all time, of all humanity, and every nook and cranny of the planet. In every way, in every industry, in every company, in every place, in every endeavor that people do, whatever. And obviously, the enemy has his plans. But remember, you may be in the dungeon. This thing may not have come to pass you know, what, like you had thought, your initial plans. But you are a person of destiny, and the church is a person of destiny, and the world is a place of destiny. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may be, not be ruined by the, by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this, no, one who, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You will be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne, I will be greater than you. That's quite a promotion there. I don't even know how that happens. It'll happen in our day. There will be more and more people promoted to unique places because they're problem solvers in the power centers and demonic strongholds. And how have you know that our rule has changed? It's not just politics. Rule is coming forth in business. Rule comes forth from the medical world. Didn't we notice that? Power and authority is being exerted from other locuses besides just the business, I mean, besides just the political world, right? How about the CDC? Did that exert a little power? So what if God began to get Joseph's and put him in all these power centers, financial centers, medical centers, places? You see what's about to happen? This is what we should look for. We should look. We should look for these plans. That's why Jeremiah chapter 29, we look back over those verses. Here are these people, they get completely exiled. You think, well, that's it for them, right? It's never that it. It will never be it for the church. As long as we're alive and we haven't been raptured or left the planet, it's never it for the church. Never. Never. While we're here, we are the salt and the light of the earth, and our salt is not going to get less salty. We're not going to just be pushed into some oblivion and darkness. I don't believe that, Mom, more than ever. I don't believe that. I think it's actually the opposite. Here's this people, been sent away into exile. It looks like it's the end of the Jewish race. But guess what? A prophet stands up and says, No, 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 don't. Let's don't talk about that quite like that. This is what the Lord, the God of Almighty, 
the, Israel, uh, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel. This is Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 to 7. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you. Pray for it. Then verse 10. This is what the Lord Almighty says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. That's God's plan for us, for all believers. For I know the plans I have for you, give you a future and a hope. Meanwhile, do business until those plans come. Let your business now evolve into those plans. Because that's exactly what happened in Joseph's time. He was faithful to what he had in an exiled place. And God took him, saw that gift, began to use that gift, and he was shining like a bright light in the darkness. And then God said, you know, here's son, I'll give you some more and some more and some more. That's exactly what happened to Israel. We see the pattern. We see the story. It's the same for all of us. The people of God are all in this place, no matter what happens. Now, this time, with the mercy warehouse and other things that God's invented for us, while we've been especially in this trial, guess what? We're in the best position of all because it's in serving and giving, not paying attention. I'm so glad we didn't pay attention to all the edicts and things with regard to the mercy warehouse. I just kept it going. We just kept it going. I'm thinking to myself, what, why would I close down something that we're using to bless people? By the way, the mercy warehouse has turned into a great store, but its goal, its service, the thing that it does is it generates money and we take that money and we house the homeless we take that money and we and we feed people we take that money and pay for all kinds of things for them we lift up the poor with that thing it's the most amazing thing it's actually we don't have to do the mercy where else it's the greatest privilege we've ever been given it's remarkable and so here's what happens to people that take care of the weak I'd say especially now is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and tie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? So listen, listen, there's all kinds of political things that need to happen and changes that I can't wait to see happen. But our business doesn't stop. Our business may just take a little different form than you thought. It may be a little bit in the dungeon. It may be in the dark spaces. That's where we go. But eventually... Uh, with that, all, that's where we belong. That's, that's where we find our redemption. Give and it shall be given to you. Is it not your food with the hungry, uh, share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? If we're going to give attention to anything in this time, it's doing this, this kind of thing. When you see the naked to clothe them, and not just in the mercy where else or any official thing, but in all your life. I've never seen compassion poured out through you as our church. We've never been in this, but I've never seen so many people volunteer to do so many things open their homes or houses to complete strangers, bring food, clothing, whatever they can, thinking of ways and ideas to become one big benevolent army. But I'm telling you, as you read through this, is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with a shelter when you see the negative clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be 
you're a rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and He'll say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always, and He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like spring, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people rebuild the ancient ruins. That's what we're doing right now. We're rebuilding the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, repairer, restorer of streets with dwellings. Is that a description for us or what? That's who we are. That's what we need to be doing. In every kind of conceivable way, officially, through the warehouse, in our private life, on our neighborhood, on our street, wherever it is, that's your job description. In the time when the world's falling apart, that's how you make a difference. But you see, it has this unique quality. When you do that, God's smiling because He knows that when you sow that, it's going to come right back on your head. The things that you need. You'll be like a well-watered garden. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You'll raise up the age of... We become the head and not the tail. Your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. This is exactly what happened to Joseph. You'll call and the Lord will answer you. He answers your prayer. You'll cry for help. Wow, what a deal. If I just read those positive things and think, well, what do I need to have that? Then I could read the rest of it backwards. If I read it backwards, you would buy that any day, right? The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I tell you, the glory of the Lord is our rear guard. And one of the ways we can ensure that is just be a blessing to this broken planet in whatever way you can think of. Open your houses, open your homes, open your food, open your finances, wherever you can console someone, comfort them, get the Father's eyes. Or you see somebody left out in a corner and they need to be included, someone lonely, oh, how many lonely people there are right now. Families have moved, things have readjusted, and they're lonely. You know, relatives have moved away, Learning to hear the voice of God is absolutely critical in this time. Unbridled fear, when you're fearful, and un- it distorts God's voice. You can't hear anymore. Sometimes God speaks in riddles, dreams, visions, and other usual ways. Joseph knew enough about God to know that he was clearly speaking to Pharaoh. Because, so I'm wondering about this with us. He's thinking, hey, Pharaoh has a dream. Tell me the dream. He's thinking to himself, hot dog. This guy's about to throw me one right down the middle, and I'm going to hit it out of here. That's what he's thinking, right, to use a baseball term. This guy is going to throw this right down the middle, and I'm going to kill this. Please, tell me your dream. Now, this is the place we need to be. Please, well, tell me your dream. Please. What's your problem? Oh, well, I know. We have a whole bunch of people that have been through that. Here, come over here. I'll, I'll introduce you, Right? He knew enough about God to know that God was clearly speaking to Pharaoh. He could recognize. How could you imagine? For a lot of believers, they would give this crazy dream and go, man, I wonder what that means. So what that got to do with me, right? No. He's going, oh my gosh, he's telling me a dream. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Please tell me your dream. Please. Because he's saying, if I tell him the dream, wow, there might be just, I don't think he had his heights set as high as ruler I think he was thinking, maybe I can get out of that dungeon at least. Praise God, you know. Right? So prophetic people are critical for our time. That's why we spend so much time learning to hear God's voice in our church. It's one of our key values. Peter also understood what God was doing in his day when he began to speak and the spirit fell. 
He understood the whole ramifications of it. He received it. He understood what was going on, right? Last point. Faithful and wise administration organization is a powerful way to respond to God's revelation and to do God's work. This whole organizational thing that he developed. Notice he thought with both sides of his brain. Not only did he get the spiritual meaning and everything, but he thought. He had a wisdom to say, do this and do that. There's a wisdom that God's putting on his church to help us organize. Help us to say, hey, and I've learned this whole thing about wisdom paths. God wants to show you how to do things, even if you don't know how to do it. From your golf swing (laughs) to your job. Everything in between. He is so good and generous. He'll show you, even if you don't know how to do it, right? And so wise administration, organization is powerful. Just ordinary things. Accounting techniques. Everything that we do. Taxes, how we organize everything. We've been as busy on the natural side as we have the supernatural side. And that's why you are, but that doesn't make you any less supernatural. That means you're grueling and reigning. You're learning to organize your life in in an effective way. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of wisdom comes on that, just like it comes on the dream. So Joseph got the dream, but it's just not that. He also had the organizational ability. Thoughts, you know, this is what we should do. We do this and this and this. That kind of ability, that kind of organizational revelation is the key to finance. It's the key to authority. It's another key, right? There's a revelatory, then there's this implementing. He was also an implementer, so he thought with both sides of his head, right? Oh, I believe that's the time we're entering. We need not only the prophetic, but we need implementers, people that are wise. No, let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. Boy, I tell you, I've been through the whole school of wisdom lately. Uh, with regard to all these facilities. No, there's a better way. Let's do this. And those wisdom makers, those people that come and say, I think I got a better idea. Those, and corporately when we do that, it's amazing. Nothing can stop about three or 400 people from doing stuff and they're all attuned to God and they have all of expertises and ways and thoughts and things to do. That's why our business community is, import, community is so important, our architectural community, our artistic community, our whatever you name community, whatever you do for a living, all of it, because it's relative to life, is important. Faithful and wise administration organization is a powerful way to respond to God's work, even in Acts chapter 11, right? Acts chapter 2. All of these places, they had to figure out how to take care of these people. The church almost split in two because somebody needed an idea about how to take care of the Gentile orphans and the Jewish orphans. A spiritual thing, the most amazing thing in history happened, and it was almost demolished because they thought there was maybe too much consideration given and not enough to certain kinds of new converts. They were Jewish, but they were from other countries. So they had to recalibrate. Isn't it important? Isn't it how powerful? How powerful? This right there. Wise administration is powerful. It's necessary. It's important. If the church hadn't gotten their act together and know how to do that wise administration, it wouldn't have functioned. It wouldn't have made it. It's just as spiritual to do that as anything. And Joseph had both of it. So much so that when the queen of Sheba saw what Solomon did, she was overwhelmed. It spoke to her loudly because of the organization and sheer way that Solomon organized his kingdom. She was, she was, she re, God was revealed to her. My goodness, maybe this time and this season, I believe this campus is going to be a time where we're going to organize this so well and do so many things well that the people are going to come asking us questions. How do you do that? What, what, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Because that's wisdom is what everybody's looking for, right? The practical and the spiritual come from the same place, don't they? Joseph practically and spiritually administered Potiphar's house, the dungeon, Egypt, and the world's needs, including those of his own family. He had to go back and get dad. The question for us today, 
What are we as a church called to creatively steward and govern in the world around us? What needs might the world today ask us to govern, ask you to govern personally? What shall we say in response to these things? I love this. Let's all stand. This is a grace. I love this passage of Scripture so much. Romans chapter 8. What a wonderful passage. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, oh. I really like that verse a lot. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how we not also along with him graciously give us all things. What things? All these things I'm talking about. From the most mundane, simple things like housing and food and all of that, provision, practically, jobs, all of it to the most spiritual things. Graciously, did he say? Graciously. He didn't spare his son. Why wouldn't he be gracious in your job? Why wouldn't he be gracious in your housing? Why not? How will he not also along with him graciously give us? And I didn't say it. There's a little word there. What did it say? All things? No, that just means for a super spiritual certain kind of, but I would never get all things. No, he wouldn't get in that area of my deepest need where I'm in pain all the time. He wouldn't take care of this, this, and this where I'm, it's in my face all the day. Dying. No, he wouldn't do that because I'm just a pauper. I'm just poor. I, I, no, I could never get that. I think Jesus begs to differ. If God's for you, who could be against you? In any area of your life, do not let that lie be told. How will not graciously give us all things? Husbands, wives, families, jobs, love, you name it. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns. I love these passages so much. No one, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us in all these areas. He's praying for us. And I think he's got the Father's ear, don't you? You just got to be in the family. And then agree with him. Jesus, I'm just agreeing with, Father, I'm just agreeing with Jesus about this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Amen? Whew. If I could just have the worship team come. So sometimes we have these times of ministry, and you're welcome to come up. I said something toward the beginning that's so incredibly important. It's, it's so important to understand where the plug in the socket is. And I think one of the first places where the plug in the socket is, is prayer. Hey, I'm being serenaded. Is prayer. Right? So if you don't have anything, where do you get it? You ask God. You have not because you ask not. So 
I think maybe there might be some people that like to put their plug in the socket. And you can do it anytime. You can do it here. It's a particular advantage here. You could agree with someone else. That's a green prayer. Or you could do it in your house or late at night or early in the morning. I'd like our ministry team to come up because the thing is, there is a certain advantage to two or three gathering together in prayer when they gather together in prayer. There's something about the Bible says when two or three agree, it's different than if they don't. So you that are on my ministry team, could you come way up to the front just a little bit so people can see you? I challenge you today. I know that that dinner that you got to eat for lunch is so incredibly important. But if you're walking around with a hole in your chest or in weakness, wouldn't it be something if today was the day where you had some lowly person like me or these people up here, you know, just ordinary folks, say, you know, I could pray for you. And they prayed for you. And where two or three gather together in prayer, they agree about anything I'll do. And you agreed about something on this date, which is the 14th. Tomorrow's my birthday, by the way. 14th, and you agreed this day, and God Almighty said, I'll take you up on that. And the thing began to change and move. I would like to challenge any of you, especially that have prayed 55 times. Try 56. You can pray from your seat, too. So evidently, we're not going to have a band. We're going to have something like this happening. It's the first time this ever happened in the history of our church, but I guess it's okay. It sounds cool. All right. So if you'd like prayer, come forward now. And if you'd just like to pause for a moment in your own seat, right? you can sit down if you like and just pray a little bit. Just ask God an extra time. God, here I am. I'm in the need of this, this, and this. You might want to repent if you've given up. Just say, God, I'm not going to give up anymore. I'm just here I am. I'm level in the field. You know how much I've been in pain. I'm just asking you for a miracle. I need you to save my son. I need you to heal my body. I need you to give me a job. I need a house. I, whatever you need, okay? So let's just turn this into one big prayer room. Right? So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, every prayer that's offered now, you would answer. You would hear us from heaven as we appeal to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. God bless you all. May God answer the deepest desires of your heart today. A number of us will be up here praying. If you need someone to pray with, if you just need to pray with someone and everybody's taken, you might just wait for a moment and see it clear otherwise or ask someone next to you to pray for you if you like. Or just pray by yourself wherever you are. Amen.